from World Renew, the Office of Social Justice, and the Center for Public Dialogue of the Christian Reformed Church of North America, this is the Do Justice Podcast. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Do Justice. It's me, Chris Orm. And today I'm very privileged to be joined by a friend, a colleague, a co-worker uh, and co-conspirator in, in a lot of good things for the kingdom. And uh, yeah, a mentor, someone who's invested in me. And I know a lot of you will probably recognize his name. We'd like to welcome Roy Birkenbosch uh, to Do Justice. Roy, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, it's it's really good, Roy. You've got an amazing resume. There's there's a lot that you've done. You are currently you're uh, you're attending Fellowship Christian Reformed Church in Edmonton. Uh, you've worked at the King's University in Edmonton with the Micah Center. You're the founding director of the Micah Center. You've worked with World Renew in Bangladesh. You've worked in other parts of the globe. You know, a lot of folks will probably recognize your voice and recognize you from uh, some of the World Renew online devotionals and stuff that we d- we've done together over the last years, particularly in the pandemic times. It was a really good way to connect. So I'm glad that you can join us um, okay. today. Yeah, Roy, let's let's talk. Let's jump right into it. Let's talk about how, you know, you've been a part of the development world and been in development work for many years and including living in Bangladesh. How, how did you end up being called? to that part of the world. How did you end up there? (laughs) Well, that's a really interesting story. And uh, it was a very unexpected diversion in my life that ended up changing my life uh, majorly in many different ways. I had done a number of things before that. I was uh, tried my hand at uh, my father's craft, bricklaying, then, uh, you know, went into engineering. And I was, uh, you know, did spent a number of years actually uh, as an engineer on uh, utility infrastructure stuff. And uh, was always kind of restless, though. So uh, when the King's University opened its doors, I enrolled in 1979 and found my way to Calvin. And uh, eventually to Calvin Seminary, sensing a call into uh, ministry, although it never was particularly clear to me if I should, uh, if that was the direction I wanted. I Mostly, I just wanted to learn. But my wife and I had a family and everything at that time. And we were attending Grace Church in downtown Grand Rapids, where uh, at the time Roger Van Harn was the minister. And there are a number of people attending Grace Church who were in senior leadership positions uh, at what was then CRWRC. And we got to know them through our fellowship at church. And uh, one day um, after the service, John DeHaan, who was at the time the director of uh, CRWRC in the States, uh, said, uh, how'd you like to go work in Bangladesh? And I said, well, what would I do? He says, whatever the day needs. Mm. <laughs> and I thought that was about the best job description you could give a guy like me. It's nice work and, if you can uh, get it, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I actually had to go to a map, I think, and and, and see exactly where Bangladesh was located. I knew it was in the subcontinent somewhere. But wow. uh, Anyway, long story short, we accepted that invitation. And, you know, part, part of what made that intriguing to me was uh, – that we were working with a, a pretty interesting group of people over there who were um, who had remained in Islam, but who were followers of Jesus hmm. and uh, were working as staff for one of our partner organizations. And part of what interested World CRWC in me was that I had some theological training now hmm. and I had some project management development, uh, project management experience. And uh, so it seemed like that might be a good fit. 
And uh, so part of what I did in Bangladesh, part of that was working alongside doing some discipling with this new group of Muslim converts. Hmm. So, yeah, so we ended up going to Bangladesh and uh, that was really, uh, it just felt like such a great fit. You know, our life up to that point, we'd had lots of exposure to people uh, living with vulnerabilities of various kinds. We had uh, had a daughter with disabilities. Uh, We had uh, fostered numerous children uh, uh, who came out of really uh, bad situations. And uh, yeah, when we'd been involved in inner city ministries and that kind of thing. So it seemed like a really... World Renew had been on my radar. Sirdarusi had been on my radar quite a bit. Quite a few people from Edmonton had been quite involved in the uh, establishing the Sierra Leone projects at the time, and mm. uh, so it was certainly on, on my radar. And uh, and increasingly so as I was in seminary, and uh, became really uh, intrigued by liberation theology mm. coming out of Latin America, but also out of Africa, and also uh, uh, feminine theology at the time, feminist mm. theology. I want to like touch on that a bit too. Like, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations, you know, just the two of us talking about liberation theology and some, you know, um, Gutierrez and, and later even like guys like Maltman who had integrated a lot of Latin American um, liberation theology into, into his work. And what, what is it about that work or that uh, the opportunity to be in Bangladesh and sort of to respond to that spur of the moment call, what was the nexus point between sort of your theology and that action? You know, uh, I, I felt often, uh, depending on, uh, depending on who I was talking to and so on, but I, I felt quite often that, uh, that there needed to be some kind of theological or, uh, evangelical justification for CR diversity and for the work that it was doing. You know, we would write letters home and every once in a while, some well-meaning person would say, well, these are all interesting stories about fatter babies and healthier communities. And, but how many people are now following the Lord because of what right. they've done, right? As if uh, the development work was sort of uh, uh, a way to prime the pump and prepare people to receive an evangelical message. Mm. And that always irritated me uh, mm. quite a bit. Uh, not that I mind if people follow Jesus, obviously, <laughs> right? Uh, but but it seemed uh, just in, intuitively seemed wrong to me to think that uh, doing uh, doing that kind of uh, resourceful work among the poor and enabling poor communities, empowering them, giving them tools and skills and all that sort of thing, uh, that that was somehow lesser than. And so I I invested myself pretty heavily in. Um, in developing a kind of a theological framework for thinking about development biblically. And uh, that inevitably leads to uh, theological reflections on justice, by the way. Yeah. And uh, so that was really, that was kind of the nexus point for me. You know, it was interesting that this, this group of people that I was discipling uh, in Bangladesh, uh, who are also development practitioners, um, we were, we were challenged about that by, uh, upon my return, we were challenged about that by uh, USAID people mm. uh, who were suspicious that we were using money that was directed towards development, but using it for evangelical purposes. Right. And I had a very in- interesting interview with the uh, the guy that was doing the evaluation work, uh, where I said, well, you know, the, the Bible actually is a really, really significant and rich development resource. Mm. And to to understand its themes and to mine those themes meaningfully is really uh, about uh, developing. It's kind of a professional development for development practitioners. 
Hmm. And he was quite intrigued by that. And he accepted that answer. I, I, I had a chance to share with him just what, what that looked like, you know, in terms of the Bible's emphasis on economic justice, for example, sure. and, uh, and, and care for the poor and uh, those themes that, uh, that really helped to ground people. You know, people go into development work for lots of reasons. They burn out for lots of reasons too. But I think that uh, that because Christians can kind of hold on to this deep theological tradition, uh, that gives that gives us some sustainability and some real staying power. So, yeah. So I I think was that the nexus. Yeah, I think like you that know, sound like a nexus. That sounds like a nexus to me, and I think you know. Uh, you know, I've been batting this one around for a while. I mean, I think of Jesus um, feeding the 5,000. I mean, it made sure everyone had enough to eat before a conversation even started, you know? Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's there. Those, those themes are there. They're, they're, they're present. And I like how you say mining, mining for those, for those truths and for those realities that, that, the work that we do is is so grounded and, and rooted in the biblical stories. But you know, that that's long and hard work. And quick fixes are they're appealing, you know, to today, to today's society. We live in a TikTok generation where you can, you know, you you consume 15 second sound bites all the time. And you know, we we want we want to get the quick recipe, we want to get the quick financial answer. Quick, quick fixes are just everywhere but when we're talking about discipleship um and and working toward god's shalom um when we're talking about working toward justice and reconciliation there's this quote from eugene peterson that we've been using sort of as our guiding post you know for this series of podcast episodes and it's you know that these things are are done in a in a long obedience in the same direction so you've been involved in this work for for a lot of years, Roy. And, and, and what has, I guess the question is what has long obedience in the same direction meant for you as you've engaged with your work? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, that quote gets attributed to Eugene Peterson because he uses that uh, as a title for one of his excellent books. Yep. Uh, you know where that quote really comes from though? I think we're going to learn. <laughs> Frederick Nietzsche. Hmm. Who has very little in common with Eugene Peterson? <laughs> and you know where I learned that? Mm. I learned that reading Bono's autobiography, Surrender. Oh wow! Which I got for my birthday recently, and uh, which is just—it's an amazing read. And uh, actually, it's not—it's not coincidental that Bono uses that line himself because I think that the whole history of U two has been something like that too. Sure. You know, a long obedience in the same direction. Um, I don't want to claim that I have been obedient uh, and don't want to claim that I've been obedient for a long time always either. But I think that what my immersion in world renew and my theological reflections um, have done is they, they've, they've touched me in a deep, profound way. Like I, um, my whole theological paradigm, to be honest with you, I think, I don't want to overstate this, but my whole theological paradigm kind of shifted mm. because of our experience living in Bangladesh, encountering the poor, uh, trying to make sense of what's a what's a North American Christian guy doing in the slums of Dhaka, 
uh, you know, trying to understand that and and trying to give an account of that that is not just evangelistic, but mm. uh, that that uh, finds theological grounding for the very act of coming alongside of the poor and uh, and then also um, being present uh, during a cyclone in which uh, uh, over 150,000 people perished that happened on, while we were there. And uh, I used to say to my students that Bangladesh, uh, uh, what what happened as a result of all those experiences was, was that I, I now had Bangladesh bullshit detectors, and uh, <laughs> any theological framing of something or uh, a notion or uh, or construct that that was not somehow able to account for the suffering of so many people and right. get some account of it or take it into consideration. Uh, it just it would set off alarm bells for me. Mm. So uh, I don't want to say that I've always been obedient because I don't think I have been always. Uh, I certainly don't want to claim that for myself. But I I, I would say that the, that this uh, this commitment to the poor and commitment to seeking justice that's just become part of my you know I don't know I don't like this word very much anymore. But it's, it's part of my worldview. It's just how I see things. And it's part of your orientation. And uh, so uh, so it's led me over the years. Uh, you know, we didn't stay in Bangladesh as long as I had wanted because we have a daughter with disabilities. And uh, it turned out that the educational resources that she would need were not available to us there. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we, we uh, just served the one term, much to my regret. But, uh, but the door that got closed resulted in many open windows. And I've been invited back to Bangladesh I don't even know. I can't even count how many times. Two, two dozen, maybe. You know, like over the years, I've just remained part of the team. In fact, I just came back just before Christmas from spending another month over there with Nancy Kohima in Bangladesh and India. Oh. So, um, so that that that's in the same direction. I've maintained those relationships and the relationships with the partners, uh, and have done uh, multiple multiple workshops. Uh, around biblical foundations for gender uh, justice, uh, biblical foundations for creation care, biblical foundations for leadership, you name it. We've developed a whole trove of uh, various workshops that are really about empowering the staff and mm-hmm. the partners. And uh, so that's been part of it. But the, the other part of it was that I, I was so blessed to be invited to come to King's. First of all, as the first campus minister, but very quickly thereafter, I became the director of the interdisciplinary studies program. Mm. Uh, and part of that included um, hosting two three-day conferences each semester, or one each semester to a year. And uh, I, and I, I kind of could just pick the themes, and I picked up on justice themes. I was very interested in, uh, you know, we had a conference about the MICA Challenge and the Jubilee Initiative. We had mm-hmm. conferences on food justice. We had conferences on uh, truth and reconciliation, which was really kind of an important topic here in Canada. And all of that, uh, all of that led to a, a, a wider, um, I think, more robust engagement with some constituency around Edmonton. And, part, and, and the result of that was that, uh, a couple came to me one day, an elderly couple, and they said, you know, we really like what you're doing with this, uh, this uh, these justice initiatives, and uh, we'd like to give you some money. This is a, an elderly couple. I'll tell you who they are. They're Clarence and Jenny Visser. She's mm-hmm. passed, and Clarence is not quite elderly. Uh, but they had, later in their life, they had, he'd been a hog farmer most of his career, and later in their life, they had an opportunity to go to Haiti 
and also to uh, Nicaragua, I think, with Change for Children in Sierra Leone. Wow. And, uh, and, and he, he will tell you that those experiences just changed his life, right? I mean, he yeah. knew about these things in a kind of headway, but uh, he was on the World Renew Board at the time, and it just made a profound impact on him. And he, they wanted to give me a, a kind of a legacy fund. Uh, so that I could provide those kinds of learning opportunities for students so that students could have that kind of uh, impact made in their lives at a time when they were still uh, making career decisions, you know. Mm. And I said, well, I don't want to I don't want to take your money and just use it for, you know, airplane tickets to send young people abroad <laughs> and so on. So we took that and, and we, we brainstormed together and we visioned together, we prayed together. And the outcome of that was the Mike Center for Justice Education at, mm -hmm. at the King's University, which uh, uh, that's that's part of that moving in the same direction. We are trying to, you know, picking up on on themes that first entered my life when we lived and worked in Bangladesh and, and which we've been building on. And uh, World Renew became a partner in uh, in that in the Mike Center, as did many others. The Social Justice Institute here in Edmonton was part of that and and many others too. And through that, we've been able to impact the lives of hundreds of students in lots right. of really cool ways. Thank you to the MICA Center for sponsoring this season of Do Justice. The MICA Center at the King's University helps students and the wider community grow a global vision of justice and renewal. Through classes, workshops, internships, lectures, global learning experience, and community initiatives, the Micah Center brings the ancient Hebrew prophet Micah's call to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God to bear on our contemporary world of global hunger, injustice, systemic poverty, war, and violence. The idea of, of of the journey motif in in our in justice work and, and you talk about how you had a theological paradigm shift that bridge between theoretical and incarnational seems to me in a lot of with a lot of folks that I've spoken with you know what whether they are, would articulate it that way or not but that whatever that bridge is between the theory and the incarnational aspect of embodying something that seems to be that that long obedience is that fair to say like that's yeah i think so yeah you, you know uh, gutierrez I, I love his definition of theology right he uh, you probably know this he he says that theology is reflection on praxis yeah in light of the gospel so the praxis in his in his uh in his description but the praxis actually has precedes the theological reflection. It, it didn't necessarily do that in my case, but I, but I do think it was the praxis, it was the exposure and the experience that forced me to go back and reread scripture, read it again and again. And and still happens to me all the time. I have to go back and read it and I and I find new new challenges for myself in it. You know? Right. You know, like we were talking, uh, I mentioned truth and reconciliation, and uh, that's been uh on the heart and mind of a lot of people here in Canada because uh, of the uh, of the residential school situation and the commission that uh, completed its work just a few short years ago. And we became kind of heavily involved in that at King's University. And, um, you know, uh, listening to the stories of residential school survivors, 
and then reflecting on scripture again, uh, you know, an amazing thing happened when I read the Exodus story again. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I think that until until just very recently, whenever I would read that story, I would identify with the Jewish people who were enslaved because Israel and the church are one long historical covenantal reality, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the church is the new the new uh, the new Israel in a sense. But after listening to the residential school stories and and coming to know again the role that the church has played in that, I realized that when I read that story, um, my community, my tradition, my heritage is really much more on the side of Pharaoh mm. than it is on the side of uh, the residential school survivors. Mm. And uh, so those kinds of theological reflections, they grow out of experiences and out of practices. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. The Gutierrez quote, Gustavo Gutierrez is a uh, Peruvian, right? He's a Peruvian theologian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and other guys like uh, Leonardo Boff, you know, all part of that sort of same yeah. school. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, reflecting on the praxis. And actually, yeah, coming to coming to a story like the like the Exodus, and like, where do I locate myself in this? Mm-hmm. Those those are those are I think are are key questions to ask as we're on this journey. But yeah, you've painted this picture for us, Roy, and I, you know, like I appreciate your the way that you are so open and and honest and transparent about kind of the process that you've been on and and the journey that you've been on and the way that you share it so generously is is you know i i appreciate it and i i've gotten a lot from that so i thank you for that but as we you know as we continue to reflect on yeah this this work this work of justice i mean there's you know we have the theory and we have the theology but there's also like i mean there is a mystical side to the way the spirit of god works in the world that we don't quite always understand and it's surprising and sometimes yeah. if i'm to be completely honest like i <laughs> i get so busy i get so centered and fixated on one thing that i for, sometimes will forget oh, yeah you know god is at work in this too maybe i should <laughs> yeah. maybe i should lean back yeah. for a minute right, and see what's right, going right, on right. here yeah. but you know can you can you share a story with us where, you know, God has been at work in the work that you've done? And, you know, is there is there something that went beyond what you expected, something that went beyond what you would have predicted as a as an outcome, but you just could only say like, wow, that was, yeah, like God was in this and that happened. Wow. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell a story about Maggie. Maggie Hodgson is a uh, an Indigenous elder here in Edmonton. And um, when we first, when I first began thinking that we should do a conference around truth and reconciliation, this was shortly after Harper's apology. And uh, I realized I don't, I don't really have a clue what I'm doing. I, I you know, I, I don't know enough. And I, and I know there are lots of protocols that I should be paying attention to. So I asked a friend of mine who worked uh, for Health Canada, and he worked uh, with, with a lot of northern communities. And he says, you got to talk to Maggie Hodgson. So I got a hold of her and I asked her if she would uh, be my mentor, coach me, tell me what to do. She was very suspicious <laughs> of this uh, <laughs> this white guy from an evangelical Christian college. And uh, so she really tested me. And we went out for dinner and she put my nose in it all over the place to see how <laughs> I would react. 
And at the end of the day, she agreed that we could maybe work together, although she was suspicious about this born again, which is what she called me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I discovered in her uh, a traveling companion who just absolutely was God's gift to me hmm. because uh, she, she taught me uh, the things that I needed to know. And she prompted me, well, maybe prodded is even a better word, to be the kind of person that I would have to be if I was going to engage with Indigenous people in any meaningful kind of a way. And, you know, my journey with her, uh, it's she's getting older and she's a bit infirm now. But, uh, in fact, I just had a long conversation with her just last evening. And uh, she, uh, she's like an angel in my life, you know. Like she just uh, teaches me, and uh, I, I think of her as, uh, uh, as, as a gift to me, uh, a gift from God. I meet these, I meet these people, and you think you have something that you want to offer them, and it turns out that what they're offering you is something much more important than what mm. you thought you could offer them. Um, that happens all the time. Yeah, and I think like that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's something that I, you know, we've, uh, I've experienced that in my journey too, with a lot of different folks where, um, yeah, maybe more often than not, I find myself in the middle of situations or involved in things where I'm like, what am I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, you know, I'll tell you a funny story about Maggie. We, we got time for that. Oh yeah. You know, at the end of this conference that we did and it went really well. Uh, at the end of that conference, uh, I thought that I would uh, buy a pair of wooden shoes and a pair of moccasins. And uh, and I would give her one wooden shoe and one moccasin, and I would keep one of each. And that would be sort of symbolic of we're going to journey together. She looked at me and she says, well, you're really stupid. You can't walk on one moccasin and you can't walk on one wooden shoe, so I'll just take them both, thank you. So she took both pairs. <laughs> and she says, you know, symbolism is good and it's important and we have lots of it in the indigenous community but your symbolism has to make sense so she says you know instead of buying me a, a half a pair of shoes just bring me a sack of potatoes next time <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh you know the other thing about that is that through maggie i've become uh friends with a number of people uh who have become really important in my life hmm. uh, in that community so yeah yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I, Roy, thanks so much for taking the time today and, you know, talking us through, yeah, I think a really important piece of what it means to be on this journey and be involved in this work of justice. Folks, you can, a quick Google search of Roy will bring up copious amounts of articles and writings and talks. If you're in the World Renew orbit, you can check out on the World Renew Community Facebook page. Roy and I doing some devotionals together. They're all up there. Um, there are a lot of ways to get connected with Roy. Roy, I'm I'm grateful for you. You're you've been one of those people for me, um, and I'm glad to I'm glad to sort of yeah be be on that path with you. So thanks so much for joining us today, man. Thank you, Chris. It's been a real privilege, and it's great to see you again. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. The Do Justice podcast is produced and edited by World Renew in partnership with the Office of Social Justice and Center for Public Dialogue of the Christian Reformed Church of North America. Our opening theme was written by Quetzalcantla. Transitions provided by Valentin Sosnitsky. Until next time, remember that the Lord is righteous, He loves justice, 
and the upright will see his face. 